Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. All right, what's up, Rahul? Super excited to talk to you. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Not bad. So I was so excited for this conversation. I was thinking about the first sort of DM I sent you. So I see this kid on Twitter, right? Absolutely balling out, tweeting about how he got a <laughs> VC internship from writing his book, interviewing, just being a, a honest person, thinking valuable thoughts. And I, the first Twitter DM I sent to you, I think I was like, oh, you're the goat or something like that. And you said, I really appreciate <laughs> yeah. And then we set up the conversation. Super excited to talk. Definitely have a lot to learn from you. But definitely want to talk about a lot of things. So we got, first of all, tell me about, so you're a second year, what's your major again in school? Yeah, no. So for the longest time, I was like, I was going to do finance, business analytics, and, and sort of some STEM minor. But recently, I'm probably going to do, I'm going to keep my finance major, but I'm going to do an astrophysics minor. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty like different, but I, it's just like something I always wanted to learn. But I was just I scared that. to say, I was, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I'm, I'm finance and astrophysics now. I love that. I love that. That's a great idea. <laughs> so you're a uh, second year finance astrophysics major at Rutgers. And I just want to go to, I think the one of the things that I'm interested in the book is that there's a lot of sort of shifts happening because of COVID. So I just want to talk about yeah. what are you thinking March of this year? Mm-hmm. Everyone just gets sent back home. Everyone yeah. has to leave school. What's going on with you? Yeah, no, it's tough. Like I remember back in March, I speak for, I probably speak for everyone just like, everyone's just lives were just like completely just like did a drastic turn and stuff. So like for me, this, the silver lining of the virus and everything. And again, I'm not saying that I was, we were lucky to have the virus. Obviously I wish it wasn't here, but nonetheless, like I made the most of it. And I was lucky in that I was granted, you know, as many people we were granted just so much time at home, a lot of quiet time and everything. And people couldn't go out. We couldn't really do things in person. So for me, that, that meant I had so much, all the time in the world to write my book. I did, I would say 99% of my book, throughout from March till you know, last month in October when I was at home. I don't really go out that much in terms of in-person sort of things because I'm just trying to stay safe. Like I live my grandma and everything. So just like this entire virus, like I, I wrote the book throughout the entire sort of pandemic and it was like perfect in that like, again, there was like no sort of pressure to go, go hang out with my friends and stuff because obviously we couldn't, right? Like and just live far, but nonetheless, I was home, spent all the time doing the work, writing the book and stuff, doing research, jumping on Zoom calls, like it was a solid silver lining and it's weird to say but like 2020 has been pretty good to me but it was only good to me because i made it good for me I really worked hard and, and and i really you know put my tried to try to do as much as i could to make the most of it so it was like it, it's a positive and benefit i would say positive and negative yeah then the virus sucks but i made the most of it so that was like my mindset going throughout the entire thing mm-hmm. there's definitely something to be said of it's really valuable to just get bored first and then you can just do yeah. what you need to do hundred percent. Yeah. And so you, it's a weird, that's a crazy thing. You're what? 19 years old. I'm 19 years yeah. old and you're writing a book and you probably, you might not have even been 19 years old when you started writing it. So how did that whole thing come about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So I was 18 in fact when I started, but uh, yeah, no, I guess the story, the origin story of like my idea and everything. And I'll also get, I'm, I realized I didn't even go into the idea of my book, but nonetheless, like, origin story before my freshman year of college so basically from when i was a kid to high school my my entire life my dad worked at bell labs if you're in the tech world you everyone knows how you know impactful how innovative bell labs was all the inventions Nobel prizes whatever they did there 
awesome stuff. He, he always worked there my entire life and, and he would take me to the lab as a kid. And I just fell, fell in love with all things research and deep tech and all that. And funny enough, like when I got to high school, I fell in with like the finance crowd, right? Oh, I was going to do investment banking. Admittedly, I was attracted to the salary, right? The fancy suits, the prestige and whatnot of investment banking. And I, I am like, I'm genuinely, I'm interested in it, but it was, it was like a mix of both. Like, all right, am I really doing it? Cause like I enjoy it or for the benefits of it and the perception of it. So it was a mix of both. And I realized like, all right, like I want something that I'm like really genuinely passionate about. Something I love, I want to do for the rest of my life. And I got to college and got disheartened and disillusioned with the sort of the, the investment making lifestyle. And, and I was like, damn, what do I do now? Using those finance skills, I, I, I realized like, all right, like I still have that innate, that inherent passion for deep tech and research and scientists and things like that. And I was like, Wait, why not just combine it too? So I finance and deep tech and everything. It leads me to deep tech VC, right? Deep tech investing, startups, whatnot, all that good stuff. And yeah, I absolutely just fell in love with it so, so quickly. Like <laughs> the people around me, I, I'd annoy them all the time. It's like, you know, just like nerding out over things and I would never shut up about it. It's like, it was funny in hindsight, but nonetheless, I just became so deeply passionate about it because it was like, it's a combination of something I grew up on. Plus, you know, what I'm, what my, where my strengths slide and stuff. And it was just, it just made me happy. It made me fulfilled. And yeah, you know, I, I wanted to be the one who would like really help scientists, educators, scientists, those in academia. Like I want to help them. I want to, you know, uplift them. All these sort of unsung heroes, right? Like I, I, scientists and engineers and whatnot, like I wanted to be the one to support them, put them, put them, you know, on this pedestal, give them money, give them the support, help them make their companies and make the impact that they want to commercialize those breakthroughs and spread them to everyone and all the benefits of it. So like, you know, I fell in, fell into all things, deep tech, R&D, academia, universities, like whatever research stuff. And I just want to do something bold, right? Like I was at Rutgers, it's a non-target school. Like I, for the longest time, like I was actually rejected from 14 of my dream schools. So I, I had like all this, I had, like, I had like fire in me. Like I wanted to prove myself like. I know I was, I know I was capable of, of getting to one of my dream schools, but life happened and I didn't. So nonetheless, like I, I, I had the motivation to channel that into my work. And again, I want to do something bold, something people wouldn't expect me to do. And I was like, shit, like I want to write a book. And as luck would have it, I met one of my mentors, Eric Huster, Georgetown professor. And after that, the rest is history. Like it, it, it was honestly just, I don't know if it was luck. I don't know if it was serendipity, but just he came at the right time. And it was really weird, but he just came at the right time when I decided, all right, I want to do something bold. And yeah, that, that's how I got basically got started. Just the right mentor, found the right community, and and I was on my journey. So, so yeah. So you said you wanted to do something bold. You got really excited. So what excites yeah. you the most about deep tech, science, mm-hmm. academia? So many things. Like on one hand, deep tech, science, and all that stuff. Like that's the future, right? That's the future. Like the the way to solve like every problem in the world, it can be solved by one way or another, or remedied in some way, some degree buy something deep tech related. Deep tech entails just any sort of advanced science or tech, right? Any sort of R&D heavy, cutting edge, you know, combination of applied or emerging science, technology, whatever it is. Every single problem that we face, like in some way we could solve it through that. And it's just, I want to you know, help the people who unlock it. And I also want to unlock it myself, but like, I really want to induce this golden age of deep tech and all honesty, like how digital and computing happened in the nineties and like the, the first decade of the century. And even in the last decade, right? We've only seen like a, this like golden age in infotech and, and, and computing and, and in all things digital, but nonetheless, we do, we haven't been investing into or haven't seen major attention around the world of atoms as people call it, like hardware, going to space, drug discovery, like all the, all these, these like things that people think are like, it's like years, 10 years down the line or whatever, like a lot of people are working on it actually. And it's just, I want to make it more mainstream. Like I, I really want to spread the wealth of the, that we have and also just inspire more people to do. And also like, I, I even get into this in my book, right? I just think like deep tech is so rooted in us like philosophically and making moonshots and, and things like that, doing these hard things. There's one theory I really like, 
it's the theory that humans and sort of life on Earth, it originated from dead stars and like supernova of you mm-hmm. know millions of years past. And right when those those dead stars exploded and things like that, all the atomic elements, right, all those materials, the remnants or whatever, they spread throughout space. And after millions of years or whatever, many years, billions of years, it you know, it just became like to be the that's how life on Earth started, right? Like all the elements and whatever. And obviously it's like a theory, but nonetheless, like to me, what that means is that we're the products of dead stars, right? Like we're capable of like cosmic level things and and it's empowered it just like, felt empowered to me damn we got to channel that sort of cosmic energy that we have within us and like, do these hard things right like, do these stellar sort of celestial things and it's just empowered to me and, and i really just love that that notion hence hence like moonshots and and things like that and then there's also like logotherapy if you're familiar with that it's just like it basically it just says like, our primary motivation is to find our life's purpose and and then they came across other things right technology itself like increases our humanity and there's this moral imperative to make technology and things like that all these like seemingly you know disparate but they're, they're like disparate like theories but they're all like really at, at the core of it, it's just like technology and specifically deep tech and making these breakthroughs and things like that it just increases our humanity as a species and as bold as it sounds and as crazy as it sounds like i i 100 agree it's just we become more human when we make these build when we build these like huge things right these important these impactful things whatever it may be and when we help each other out we, we have all these positive externalities with all this all these moonshots and things like that and deep tech and whatever and i can go on and on i, I love this stuff but nonetheless in summary right like I just realized it's so important. These things are so important and, and people don't realize that. And I really want to make it more accessible to the common person. So yeah, that, that was like my motive. I probably went off <laughs> went on a tangent. I went on a tangent. Nonetheless, like, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I, in preparing for this interview, I was thinking about something I, I read. Yeah. I think it was Peter Thiel. And he, he said the same thing that you just said there. He was talking about how if someone from the 1970s or even the 1870s or the 1670s came into our current world, not much has changed in terms of there's this new thing that we call a phone and the internet that shrinks geographical distances and enables us to communicate. Yeah. But that's all hacking in terms of bits, right? There's no hacking in terms of yeah. cells. There's no hacking in terms of atoms that's gone on mm-hmm. that you're yeah. talking about. And so it's very interesting to me. I remember one of the things that you teeted was that the next unicorn, the next billion dollar company, the next trillion dollar company will you know, not be software related. And I think it's so valuable to hack outside of software just because we haven't done it for ages. And and in a lot of ways, I, I don't know how far you want to go down this Peter Thiel rabbit hole of looking at the world. But <laughs> innovation to, to, to him, but I think that argument has some merit. Like innovation is slowing, right? There's this whole, it's so interesting that you talk about your dad starting at Bell Labs because that is viewed as the like golden age, like Bell Labs. That was when research and, and corporations were married together to, to really yeah, push yeah. the world forward. And even right, Georgia Tech, the head of the dean of the college of computing isabella's lab bell labs diaspora and they've all gone on to do amazing things so i think there's two things that's really exciting about what you're saying it's that we have to find a way to increase our innovative output not just for the sake of ourselves but for the sake of our country and to increase our humanity as technology paradoxically has the capacity to do but we also have to hack problems that we've been ignoring there's there's only so many issues potentially that we can solve by writing code on a computer and it's black box issues. If you, if you want to give hardware some capacity, you code on it, but that's not necessarily right. There's all sorts of amazing stuff going on. I, I remember I follow, I, you probably did too, but NASDAQ on um, 
TikTok and stuff like that, Atomic yeah, Limbs, yeah. SpaceX, all sorts of wild stuff that's it's yeah. obviously married with software, but there's so much more out there in terms of how we can change the way that we live our lives, which is why it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's super exciting that you've written a book about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I, I realized again, <laughs> I forgot to go into my book is actually about, so I guess for the listeners who, who don't know, basically my book is called Making Moonshots. It's a deep dive into the philosophies, mindset strategies that are really conducive to building moonshot companies, really impactful deep tech companies. So hence my interest in all things deep tech and impact and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so what's, what is your uh, favorite deep tech company right now? Is it? That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I could say there, there are some, I, I can't pick one favorite one, mm-hmm. but cause, cause again, there's just so many that just so inspiring. Yeah. Damn. Like how are they doing that? It's so cool. Like one of them, I would say one of my favorites is probably control labs. They made mind control robots real. Like it's just absolutely insane. But just, are you familiar with control labs? No, go um, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, shit. Okay. So basically what control labs is, they figure out a way to pick up the, your individual like neurons mm-hmm. and sort of sense them and mm-hmm. in turn capture your intent and put it onto a computer. And in turn, you could control a robot with your mind. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And they've literally made mind control real. And it's just, oh, yeah, wow. on one hand, right, the science is just insane. It's just so super cool. But then on the other, like one of the applications I could think of, like those who are like paralyzed, right? Like, maybe like those who have are, are disabled or in, in, in some way, like they could finally like, have, you know, they could finally like see their actions actually implemented and whatever, and they could actually act upon things. And, and on one end, like we could make just everything like so seamless. You would change your thermostat by just like moving your hand like that. It's insane. Just, you know, thinking something or, or trying to like, have having the intent, obviously, and just like you see a machine do it. Like it's insane. And I feel like that's just like the most sci-fi thing ever, <laughs> to be honest. And so that's, that's nice. like one of them. Yeah. And another one, I really, and I, there's a reason I like this one. It's called Variant Bio. Basically, they do, they do drug discovery based on genetic outliers. So for example, they gave an example, like there's this one, I forgot where, but there's this one like really isolated tribe. There's nine families left or something they were saying. And this tribe of people, they, they have this um, genetic mutation so that at night, they their metabolism spikes. Obviously, like it's in the jungles or wherever, they need to stay warm, whatever it may be. So at night, like their bodies like automatically just like their metabolism spikes. And they were just like, and, you know, people have variant bio, they were just saying, damn, like, what if they can make a drug out of that, like a fat loss drug out of that, right? Like literally all you have to go to sleep and you lose weight or, you know, you lose fat or whatever, like your metabolism goes up as you sleep. So it's just like the market for that is insane. Obviously obesity is a huge problem. And it's just like, yeah, that's so ingenious using these sort of genetic outliers. Some people like maybe in like mountainous regions, they could breathe better because obviously they, they yeah. have to be, that's yeah. how they survive. They're, they're, they breathe better. And some populations are like immune to malaria, for example. So maybe that could be a malaria sort of cure or whatever it may be. So it's using genetic outliers in their superpowers almost in a way. It's like literally like their superpowers and making drugs and medicines out of it. And what I really respect about Variant Bio is that they have this just this like utmost respect for diversity. They respect all the people that they do tests on, you know, get information from and, and in turn when they process their genotypes and their phenotypes or whatever it may be, right? Making drugs and everything. Like the people that they're getting them from, um, all over the world, like they have the utmost respect for them. Like they, they respect their culture. Like they do everything ethically. There's no sort of foul play. And I just respect that so much. I love that. Right. Yeah. Like here's a company that's on one end, they're saving lives. They're literally saving lives or they're improving people's well-being with all these really important medicines and pharmaceuticals and drugs that they're making, but they're doing so in this, you know, this ethically sound way. Like they respect diversity. They respect people who have all these capabilities that a common person doesn't have, but like, it's not, and it's not like a bad way. It's not like some sort of like colonialism type, you know, thing. Like it's, it's, they respect all these cultures, diversities. I just love that. I, I right. absolutely just love that. So that's definitely right. one of my favorite companies as well. Like, 
again, the theme of making moonshots, right? Like it's, it's one thing to make impactful companies, but it's also another to make wise companies. I think that's huge, right? And I, I really just believe in that. We got to start making why, I, as much as like profitability and everything, that's so important. But like, if a company's not like, wise, if they don't you know, understand the second or third or, or fourth degree effects and, and, and consequences of their actions, I don't know if I could support that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting. Making wise companies, it's a whole other discussion, but, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's one, hopefully we'll, we'll get into, because you're looking at it from the other end of the table too now, being a VC intern and stuff, but that's some sci-fi type stuff. That's nuts. I was thinking of it. I was thinking of this book I read when I was younger called like Un- Unwound or Unwind, the whole Unwind series. And the whole idea was that they would, it's gruesome, but they would harvest sort of children that were neglected for organs, basically. Yeah. And so one book in the series is literally called Rewound, where they take, they've harvested, it's terrible explaining it to you, but they've harvested this beautiful guitarist hand, like this basketball player's legs and, and abdomen and stuff and and right this dancer's arms and it's like when um if you ever watch basketball like it's like when they go and they're like oh who would your best player ever be and they're like oh yeah. lebron james's athleticism like michael jordan's right hand steph curry yeah. like, like that mm-hmm. it was literally like that and then they rewound someone so they put someone back together with yeah. all these body words mm-hmm. And I, I just thought of that because you were talking about superheroes, right? That is a clear example of like unethical, absolutely yeah. gruesome, like terrible stuff. Exactly. And, yeah. and to hear about a company, obviously American companies specifically fall into this trap of, of going to indigenous populations and talking down to them for sure. Yeah. But yeah. to look at something that's a beautiful thing, right? That's It's not yeah. something, it's just something that they've naturally organically created. Mm-hmm. And to try to make that accessible to a lot of different people, that's that blows my mind, honestly. It's noble, right? It's heroic at the end of the day. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And it's, I think, yeah, the way that you phrase it is so good. It's not just moonshot companies, it's the philosophies, it's the underpinnings, it's the, yeah. the mm-hmm. ideas that, right? Because they're not just creating something unbelievable. They're, they're, you can definitely say that they are making a, they are pushing the world forward in, in the yeah. sense that they're thinking about, you know, how do we make all of our stakeholders? Well, how do we involve everyone in a way that's inclusive? Hundred um, percent. Yeah, and I even I even mentioned this in my book. The one of the mental models that I realized a lot of these you know moonshot founders implement is systems thinking and second order thinking. I basically define those as wisdom in in space, wisdom in space, and wisdom in time. So I'll go with I start with second order thinking, right? So that's wisdom in time, right? Basically, second order thinking is just, all right, all the decisions you make, you got to consider what's the second order consequences, right? What's the third order? What's the fourth order? What happens if a million people use this? What will change culturally if people use this? Like all these different questions that they, that they have to be mindful of. The, the best founders, like the best moonshot founders out there, like they they know. And when I like just like put in perspective and it's highly unrealistic, but nonetheless, like in 2004, 2005, whatever, Mark Zuckerberg, when he was making Facebook, he didn't think, all right. 15 years, 15, 16 years later, like Russia would be using Facebook to hack American elections. Like he obviously didn't have that wisdom, like who would? But nonetheless, mm-hmm. like that's what people should strive for. Being wise, knowing every single possibility of the product and technology and science, what can go wrong with it? Like, again, ha- knowing what the consequences and consequences of those con- consequences and all the you know, complexity of everything and, and the com- compounding effects and things like that. You got to know that, right? You got to be wise in time. That's why I call it wisdom in time. You also have to know uh, systems thinking. I define that as wisdom in space. Like, all right, like 
what's the this is more like direct right maybe not second third or fourth but just like directly what are the consequences but like what are the consequences from the perspective of like those impacted right all the different nodes in an ecosystem right all right take take variant bio the company mm-hmm. i just mentioned all right they have the scientists they have the science aspect of it but what about the effects on on the indigenous population right that they get the um, you know superpowers you know, quote unquote superpowers from right what about their you know psychology right what about their mental health all their things and what about the drug um discovery process all the technology all the biotech whatever it may be and then how does this affect the government right like how does this affect regular people so forth you have to know like all these nodes on all, all the sort of influence and effects on i don't know like politics right you have to know it on, on on science and morality and people's psychologies and how institutions will just change and i know it sounds really broad but just like you have to understand the system as a whole and really know how what, what like your actions like how it's going to affect every single person and mitigate those risks and mitigate everything that can go wrong and that's why i call it wisdom in space right like the directly like the people that that will be inevitably affected by your product by your technology or science or whatever it may be you got to be mindful of, of everything that will happen to them and again this goes back to just making wise companies. And uh, I realized like the best people, like the best founders that I've observed and either interviewed or researched or whatever it may be, they employed that. And I, I just thought that was huge, right? Again, to the point on making wise companies, like that's one, one sort of observation I made. So, so yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable what you type, but it sounds so important to me, but it sounds unbelievably hard to me. Obviously, we have even small inventions like the light bulb. Unbelievable invention. Yeah. but it destroyed people's sleep cycles. It destroyed. Yeah. So even something like that can have adverse effects that, that we yeah. need to talk about and consider, but it just sounds so difficult. You brought up Mark Zuckerberg. He is literally our age, just <laughs> making this thing in a dorm room. Yeah. Yeah. It's so wild that Russia is using it to hack our elections now. And it just sounds right. Thinking about variant bio, they make that sort of a pill that helps our metabolism spike at night. What happens to gyms? What happens to all these wellness people that have that whole ecosystem? There's so many shareholders to consider that it's wild. It sounds so difficult, but so important to plot like, okay, one year after we launch this, what's the world look like five years after we launch this, you know, what's the world look like? And, and even right. The people that you talk about, they're so deep tech that even the legality of it comes into question, right? If we do something like a mind control robot, it's so nuts, you know, that, and and to be honest, the United States in a lot of ways is a, is a, Justin Murphy actually taught me this word. It's a gerontocracy, right? It's a society governed by old people. And so we get into situations basically where that we potentially need regulation, right? It's not the job of a scientist, someone who's amazed by what they can create to regulate themselves. That's never going to happen. No. Yeah. But you need someone that understands it to be able to regulate them. And so we get into this issue where if they don't understand it, we don't get the necessary regulation or the yeah. necessary societal discussion. To yeah. Think about, do we want to introduce something like this into our society? Because that the stuff you're talking about, that is going to radically, and as it should, right? That's the intention, but it's going to radically change the way that we live. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. And and yeah. No. To your point, I like in in my book, like I even mentioned, like what we gotta do on a governmental level to bolster this deep tech ecosystem. Oh my god. I like my my editor literally was just like, this is like a scathing review of the government. Are you sure? Like you want to put all this in? It's nothing bad. Like I just I'm so critical of the government. I really mm-hmm. take this like libertarian esque fuck the government. Like we gotta do this. We gotta make moonshots because because like you know whether we have the government on our side or not. Because the government mm-hmm. is just they're stymieing all sort of progress and. 
all the, the political gridlock and everything and then and all the bureaucracy and shit like that like i hate it i hate it so much it's just it's just it's stymieing right like literally like the rate of, of scientific and technological progress and things like that and i go into my take on the remedies and what's funny is that i know those remedies will not even be considered right like one of them for example is getting rid of special interests that's never going to go away like you say like like all these old ass politicians and everything like they're not they're gonna they're obviously like with these big sort of corporations and whoever it may be like they're obviously lobbying to them right to legislate and in in favor of these whatever corporations or whoever they are i give you like one example right like oil and gas and things like that like those I find, I really do think that oil, all those like oil and gas and whoever coal lobbies or whatever it is, those are the people who are stopping us from making the transition to clean energy. Like literally, like, like we've proven the capabilities of clean energy. Like we have all the technology, like it works. Some countries even use it. And but I, I just feel like for us, we're stopping this progress in terms of energy because of like people, like powerful people are holding us back and all the politicians and the old corporations and uh, people like that. It's just like, it's so like annoying at the end of the day. It's just so annoying. It's just like, and I understand it too. One thing that was brought up in the election, right? The recent election, the, the, the problem of fracking, right? Like on one end, like, all right, there's some towns or some people who, who rely on fracking as, a, as their salaries, right? Their well-being, like they have to put food on the table. Like I totally understand that. I totally get that. Like it, I, I, I wish that they could find other means of work and everything so we could progress in terms of energy, move to better energy, clean energy, obviously the cl- climate crisis and whatever, all the effects of unsustainable sort of resources and things like that and, and non-renewable resources, things like that. I want to mo- I want to make that transition, but I understand why we're not. Because again, people rely on those. Like obviously we live in this very forward looking sort of um, tech world and everything, but it's, it's a bubble at the end of it, right? Like not, the entire world is not in this, it doesn't have the mindset that we do. And, and it's really warranted. Like I'm not looking down upon it. Like again, people rely on oil and gas and coal and whatever it is. They got to put, feed their families, take care of their families. That's how they make money. But it's just like, yeah, like it's, that's what I, that's what I mean when I say it's the, the like sort of deep tech complexity and things like that. Like how these sort of these advancements in technology, like what are like the outer sort of consequences of it? Like the consequences that we, you wouldn't really consider in the moment in time and things like that. It's, mm-hmm. and, and you obviously have to go, yeah, as I mentioned before, regulations and, and things like that. And it's, there's it, again, it's so utterly complex and that's what I love about it. It's so interesting to me and mm-hmm. I can go on and on. Nonetheless, you get the point. Like <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I definitely share your, frustration about the whole government aspect of it yeah. i think definitely me just my whole family we, we just watched david attenborough's sort of thing on netflix just a few days ago actually and the thing about that is we have companies out there like bill the bill gates back company i don't know if you saw this but they arranged panels in a way that they were able to so the reason that we use right coal and sort of these fossil fuels yeah. is that we need to to heat things very high and then we can rely on electromagnetism to generate yeah energy and and so they were able to use sunlight to get things really hot like to that temperature sustainably and renewably and, and so to your point the technology is there right mm-hmm. the desire to do it is there especially among people our age because yeah. they talk about 2040 2050 and to people that may have been born in 1960 to people that may have been born in 1970, their perception of what that period of their time is going to look like is very different to how we perceive that period of our lives. Yeah, because yeah. You, you and I will be what, 40 or 50. But also there's, and Paul Graham's written essays about this. There's, if a lot of cool ideas basically started off as stupid ideas, 
or ideas that people thought were illegal or unsafe or potentially harmful. And so in in technology, you obviously get Chernobyl before nuclear is the way forward from yeah, fossil fuels and like that. Yeah, and so you got the destructive force before the creative force and things like this. Yeah. And so it's so necessary to let people pursue stupid ideas or yeah. at least ideas that other people don't think are interesting at the time. Mind control robots is such a mind. I don't really want to swear on my own podcast, but it's so Oh my God, I was doing it. nuts. Yeah. I'll edit it out. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> uh, no, it's totally get your frustration in that. And the thing I was talking about before, you get a situation where you have congressmen who don't necessarily understand how, how Google works or different social media ecosystems work. <laughs> yeah. and, and then you need people who are intelligent, who are well-versed in, in technology and can understand what it means. And like you talked about the second, third, fourth, after effects, you basically need the people that are inventing things to explain it back to them. But yeah. it's, that's not their job. You know what I mean? And See, one way, that, one way to fix that is just, we shouldn't have legacy politicians in that. Like what, what it means that being a politician should not be someone's full-time job. I, not, I take that back. It shouldn't be their, like their only job that they ever experienced. A lot of people, like they started in politics and they end in politics. It's just crazy. But just like how, like someone who's, I'm not going to like name names because I don't want to get, you know, politically yeah, sort of, like, you know, shut down. But nonetheless, like how can like someone who's never, you know, worked in, the, in a specific industry, like how can they legislate within that industry if they don't know what it is? Like they, they have no background whatsoever. Their only background is being a politician. Like they're going to have a skewed mindset. And just like objectively, they're going to be skewed. They're not going to know everything, not going to understand everything. So it's like, what gives them the right to make the, make the decisions for that industry or for that community or whatever it may be. I just think it's so dumb. Like mm-hmm. we, we shouldn't have people who have only been politicians their entire life, right? who have no trade whatsoever besides being a politician. I just think that's crazy. But anyway. Yeah. Go on, go on. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we think about, Right. O- Obama in sort of his tenure, he imposed environmental restrictions. But like you talked about, that took people's livelihoods away. People yeah. lost jobs because they couldn't do things that were obviously, you know, bad for the environment. And the whole bad for the environment, Earth will always survive. Mother Nature is going to find a way. But we're basically Hopefully. putting billions of lives at risk in the future. And th- the whole issue comes down is essentially, right, how do we push mankind for it? How do we evolve into this mm-hmm. sort of multi-planetary species and i think we get hindered by thinking of things at the level of the nation or the tribe or things like that and donald trump came in and he promised i'm going to give these jobs back and to me who was how old was i I was like 15 16 at the time and i'm looking at it and this guy is just rolling all these environmental protections back and i'm like holy cow what are you doing but it, it gave people their jobs back and so the way that we right you talk about it it's an unfortunate situation but these people eventually for their own safety, for the safety of billions of people in the future, for our kids, for their kids' kids, they need to move to basically a different sort of livelihood. And so the way to do that is, you know, exactly what you talk about. It's deep tech, it's moonshot companies driving the world forward, making the pie bigger for everyone so that those people can, it's even easier for them to make that switch. But to your point, yeah, we're saying there. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, all right, like, like you, you reminded me of this one concept. Do you know, like, type one and type two progress? No. Okay, so basically, I'll in really short terms, right? Type one progress is progress at the outermost edges. What we know as science, research, and development in universities, maybe, or for example, typically, but not always, progress in in first 
sort of first world nations and things like that. Progress on, this, on the outside. And then there's also type two progress, which is progress from the inside. Bringing like the bottom people, like the people on the bottom, like uplifting them, helping everyone. And in turn, it'll go to spread the wealth and things like that. We need both of them, right? Deep tech and moonshots, whatever it is. Like deep tech and all the things that we, we find out in universities and, and research labs, whatever, great. That's awesome. Good. It's awesome to make breakthroughs, but what's the value of that breakthrough if you don't spread the right? Yeah, spread the benefits of it, right? What's the like academia? It's like this black hole I, I call it, right? Like the black hole that is academia. Like it's where all these awesome ideas are are made, but then some most of them die. So that's a whole other thing to make progress. We we need to make type two progress. Like we need to you know spread the wealth, right? help everyone, uplift everyone with all these like deep tech and everything. But it's tough. Like, like you know, if you take it like from the economics or the politics or whatever, all these are different perspectives. Like there's so many factors that you have to consider, and for so many factors working against it, and it sucks. Like I, I hate how that's reality. But I don't know. I'm hopeful that that sort of our generation is going to change that. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just want another tangent. But yeah. nonetheless, <laughs> so the thing we haven't gotten to yet is that you. I'm so interested. You're doing research for this book. You go into your quarantine and you're writing a lot. And obviously super excited for the book comes out December 7th. December 7th or 8th. Yeah. And a week and a half or so. (laughs) Right. Dang. Okay. You must be really excited. But you flipped a lot of this research, this refining of your own thoughts into going to the other side of the table and, and becoming a VC intern. So, you know, what happened there? Oh, wait, what's your question? So you're now an intern or you're going to be an intern at Lux yeah. Capital, right? Yeah, my Lux, yeah, currently, yeah, yeah. So right now, right? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So yeah, how did that sort of come about? Because it sounds like yeah. a really cool story there. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was, honestly, it was like probably the biggest achievement of my life. Like after, after the book, it's insane. Like it's, it, it made me just so happy. I like validated like all the work that I was doing. But basically I started writing this book back in January of, of 2020, basically to, to learn more about deep tech, right? To, to gain, you know, this reputation around it, to, to learn more, like literally, like I know people typically are, they learn the thing, then they write a book about it. No, like I wrote the book because I wanted to learn. I want an excuse to talk to people and I want an excuse to build a network and write something awesome and stuff. And it's tough. Like you have to do those two things at one, learn it and also write it, put into that I, an entertaining and digest, digestible manner and things like that. It's tough. Like doing both of them is, is so tough, but it was like, it was so worth it. And I, I wanted to make the most of like the time I had. So that's what I did. And in the process i'd be interviewing a lot of people the first major interview that i had was josh wolf at lux capital the you know managing partner of lux capital and think about josh right and among some other people but like josh i would say people like astro teller maybe like those are the people that really inspired me to write this book i only got obsessed with deep tech after i found google x right like i don't hence moonshots it, it comes from google yeah. x and moonshot factory and and i came across you know lux capital and all the things they're doing with deep tech and all these cool research labs and, and all the cool startups and things like that. Like one of the first few people that really got me inspired was actually Josh at Lux Capital and Astro Teller at X and some other organizations with some other people. But nonetheless, Lux has always been like, I want to work there. That's my dream job. It, it was so cool. Like I want to work there since day one, since I got obsessed with BC. And he was the first first person, major person I, I interviewed. Really cool conversation. The funny thing is that like I emailed him in the beginning of March. I spoke to him in May. So it was funny. Like I had to follow up with him like six or seven times. Like he, he's a busy guy. I don't blame him. Like, like why would you answer the email of a random freshman? That's a funny or, way. So you sent him the yeah. same email six times? No, no, like I like followed up with him. Like so right. basically what it was like. So okay. I sent one email, right? Cold email and freshman ruckers, like non-target school, whatever. I have no background in this, but like here I am just like, all right, like I'm writing this book. I want to interview for for it. I made it like so personalized. Really, I showed him like I'm doing the research, like 
I looked into his background. I know what he likes. I, I used all his like, you know, favorite phrases and stuff. I them in the email. I really wanted to like, get him to like answer my email. So he, he replied to that first email. He's like, all right, like, let's, let's set it up. Like he's excited. Like he'd love to you know, take like, 20, 30 minutes to uh, chat and everything. And then, so we scheduled it for March, I think 12th. It was the Thursday. Do you remember the week when everything went to shit? Like with yeah, the virus yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. that, that, that week. Yeah. The Thursday of that week, that was mm-hmm. when we were supposed to call. And, and that was when Rutgers went to everyone's going home. So I, I was home. That was the first day I was home that Thursday. And I was, I was going to call Josh and everything. He just like never picked up the, obviously he, I, I learned like, all right, he's busy, right? Like, They're transiting to completely remote, like remote, like, you know, Lux and every other company out there. All right, like I understand that I'll follow up with him in a week or two weeks when everything's, you know, relatively calms down and stuff like that. So I do that. Uh, that's my second email. I think you missed that one. I followed up again. I followed up a couple, a couple more times and, and it took quite a few times to get to um, finally to March 6th. So like what, three months later or so, it, it took quite a few, quite a long time. But nonetheless, yeah, I, I talked to him, kept in contact with him after the call. That was huge. Just kept him updated, show like, all right, like I'm serious about this project. Like I'm, I'm hustling, I'm doing the research, like is, I'm learning a lot, whatever. Email him about like from May to like September, about like twice or three times or so. And then yeah, back in September, I was just like, hey, Josh, like I'm, I'm writing this book. Like I learned about deep tech and I'm learning about it through this thing. I, I proved I could hustle. I proved I could do the research. I know how to identify moonshot companies. It's literally the concept of my entire book. Like, can I work for you and help you with all things moonshots and things like that? And usually absolutely like, on the first, like right away, he just, he just hired me on the spot. Like no resume, no application, no interview. He just hired me. And I sent him a chapter of my book and uh, he looked at, I'm pretty sure he looked, I think he looked at least. Cause I don't know what else he, he knew about me, but like he, he looked at that and he, I think like, that's what got him to hire me on the spot. It was like pretty crazy. So basically, yeah, no, I, I started working there. Like, it's so cool. It's my absolute dream job. Like the, the value, I mentioned the story because it's just, it, it like validated my work. Like here's one of the firms I want to, that, that really inspired me to, they're experts of deep tech, right? Like, if they like liked the book, like literally Josh like hired me because of the book. Like, I, I think I'm writing a quality book then. I think it's safe to say that like, right, I'm not saying, like, you know, it's like some like, dumb stuff in the book. It's like actually tangible and things like that. So obviously I'm so incredibly grateful for the opportunity, but it just felt good that like, all right, like maybe I'm not like, maybe I'm, I am qualified or. I mean, I'm not qualified, but I at least know what I'm talking about. And, and it's, it's, it's sure just, that feeling was just so nice, especially coming from a non-target school. BC, like, it's, it's every, everyone said, like, it's, like, impossible for me to get in. I, like, people, like, straight up said to me, yo, you're not going to get in. Like, to, you know, break into VC after undergrad. That was my goal. And they're like, all right, you're going to have to go through investment banking or start a company. I was like, damn, like, I'll be all right. Like, maybe I'll go the investment banking route. But no, like, shit, like, <laughs> I just, like... Yeah, I worked hard and I did that. And Josh just like, I just validated like my hard work and stuff and hired me at luck. So it's a really cool story. It was an like, awesome journey, but, but yeah. I love that. Yeah. You, you just sort of asked the universe for something and then it just happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it happened, but like I worked for it. Like there was no, maybe a little bit amount of luck, but nonetheless, like I created the content. Like I, I wrote the book. I, I absolutely, I proved myself. And it was just like, this, it was like the product of just like working hard and, knowing how to how to send cold emails like that that's a whole mm-hmm. other skill so yeah <laughs> so, so. yeah there is this phrase create your own luck so i think yeah, 100%. yeah i think anyone looking at it would say that it's an amazing story but you definitely <laughs> you created the opportunity for yourself and so now that you are like a vc intern so i'm assuming that you you go over deals you present them but you're not hopefully writing or are, are you writing checks I'm not writing checks. Okay, yeah, I'm just yeah. like, it's like sourcing the market research, things like that. Yeah. Right. So what is your favorite part? What's the coolest part of that for you? Oh, the coolest part of working at Lux, I would say is, I mean, on one hand, right. It's just, again, 
it's an excuse like literally like what i love about vc is just like you're literally getting paid to learn like that's that's just, like beautiful that's just like beautiful to me like you're getting paid yeah you know, and and yeah you, know, you, you you're it like you're getting paid to, first of all you're getting paid to first of all, make friends with people like, obviously become friends with the founders scientists things like that all these smart people they're so inspiring like getting paid to make friends like that's awesome what the hell who would not want to do that it's getting paid to learn it's like like taking as much knowledge as you can make again make educated and informed decisions who we want to invest in things like that who you want to support so just like this concept of vc i absolutely love it like it's so fulfilling like it's like literally like my way of like actually impacting people like i really want to again i want to help all these deep tech people all these scientists make their companies right commercialize their findings things like that so it's like it's just so fulfilling i said that's like the best part that that's like a a solid benefit but i guess like on the surface like one of the one of the cooler things yeah have an excuse to again, learn a lot like I'm, I'm doing some looking into a couple cool uh, industries things like that also i think about lux right and I, I see this in a lot of vc firms like a lot of them uh, what i would say maybe 30s and older uh, maybe there's some associates in their 20s for the most part right like they don't really have a good grasp over uh gen z and it's, it's hard to understand for them like what's better to do than not actually hire someone from gen z and you know help them yeah <laughs> so, right like, yeah i actually like i i help them a team and helping like the marketing people and like i even spoke to our prospective startup they're going to invest in but not officially have but like they might helping them with like marketing stuff like it's like really cool it's just like yeah. i can see like a direct impact of my work so it's pretty cool i love that yeah i love that it's my excuse to do cool th- yeah okay that's awesome yeah it is <laughs> yeah yeah i spoke to noosh uh mytho yesterday too mm-hmm. and, and he was working on an ai chatbot using gpt3 as so he was yeah, saying that awesome. there's like a ton of ai friends out there but they're not gen z related and he's like, I'm from Gen Z, so I just, I don't need to, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got that locked down. Okay, awesome. So here's my last question. I absolutely love talking to you. My last question is, and you, you answered this already, to be honest, but what gets you the most excited about the future? Moonshots. <laughs> so I'm writing my book. Like it's, I'm so excited to, you know, it was like my, my, my goal, right? Like I want to at least inspire just one more person to pursue their moonshot and I didn't even publish my book yet. And I think I have like around five or six people who have directly inspired and they went down to pursue a company or a project wherever because of my book. So technically my goal is already reached, but obviously I want to make more people. I want to inspire many people. So that's what, that's what gets me excited about my future. The, like the, the futures. I want to see people making more moonshot companies, more moonshot projects, more moonshot policies, whatever it is, right? Again, moonshot is just this metaphor of doing bold, audacious, incredibly impactful things. And I just think it's heroic. It's just so noble. It's just, and, and there's so much work that has to be done. And like, I, I always say, I want to inspire the sort of golden age of deep tech. And that's what I'm most excited about. I, I really do think I have a plan for it. It's incredibly bold. I'm in, in no position to make these decisions, but nonetheless, like I genuinely don't care. I'm going to try and, and I'm going to work hard. And, and it's just, I'm excited. I'm really excited for this. It's just like, what we saw for digital, right, in the 90s, the internet, things like that, I, I really do think that's going to happen for all things deep tech, everything biotech related, biotech and, and, and space and everything in the ocean and you know, drug discovery and all these, all these, you know, really cool things. Like, it's just going to, it's going to happen. Like, it's going to be like so mainstream. Like, people like Elon Musk are going to be mainstream. Like, it's going to be normal to be like Elon Musk. And I, I'm so excited for when we get to that stage. Obviously, it's tough. Like, it's, it's not going to happen in the next decade. But unless, just I'm so there excited for just like I'm, I'm hopeful and excited for the species as a whole that we're actually going to start actually like, progressing in terms of science and tech and stuff. I'm just trying to get be at the spearhead of it. So, so yeah, that's we'll see awesome. What yeah, I think that's a great goal. Normalize Elon Musk. That's awesome. Exactly. Um, like, why can't why again? Like, why isn't there a female Elon Musk? Right? Like, why isn't there a person of color Elon Musk? Right? Like, why is like why is Elon Musk so hell on a pedestal and everyone wants to strive like like strive to be like him? Like, 
more of like that that should be normal people doing all these bold things like that should be normal so i, I want to see more people like that more moonshot founders at the end that that's a, that's the whole uh, premise of my book so so we'll see what happens but i'm hopeful for yeah sure. you're certainly already inspiring to me and it sounds like a bunch of other people so i think yeah you definitely <laughs> thank you <laughs> But yeah, so thanks so much for talking to you, Rahul. This has probably been one of my favorite podcast episodes so far. So yeah, I'll keep you updated on the book. Definitely whenever yours is available, I'll be getting a copy. But yeah, no, it's of course. And then yeah, I'll let you know when the podcast episode is out. And yeah, thanks for talking to me, man. Super excited for you. And yeah, super excited for what you accomplished and, and what we talked about today. Perfect. Awesome. Me too. Me too. Awesome. All right. Take care, man. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care, and we'll see you next time.